Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. This week we remind you, music is the greatest form of magic. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today we're taking a little bit of a vacation from our trek through the plains. To... We stopped at a hostel as it were. Yeah, we decided to take in a live show. So we today... found the Hotel California. Holy crap. <laughs> Except that this one, you're allowed to leave at the end. Or so we hope. Well, I don't want to take care of all you people. <laughs> but we decided that we wanted to take a little bit of a break from our planar travels. And I was inspired by World Build With Us and one of their recent World Build prompts, wherein they created the Land of a Thousand Decibels, which was a heavy metal world. And I really wanted to just make a heavy metal bard. If you've not had a chance, go back. We did get to do a collaboration podcast, so they were on one of our podcasts a couple of weeks back. We got to join there, so if you've not got to hear us with them, check out both. They really do have a fun show. They are great guys. They have some great ideas. Ian told me about this episode they did, and we were in the middle of a while right, and he's like, we need to make a metal bard. And I was like, holy crap, yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and include a link to the first part of their two-part Land of a Thousand Decibels episodes in the show notes so you can go back and listen and see what I was inspired by to do this. But it just seemed like a lot of fun and James really liked the idea so we decided to go ahead and run with it and because one archetype isn't really enough to make a whole episode on we went ahead and each created an additional bard subclass that we're also going to be talking about. I'll let James go ahead and describe his in a minute, but mine is, I've had this bard concept in my head of a mute bard who does quick draw art. And so I wanted to take that concept and flesh it out into its actual full subclass. So someone that bases it on illusion magic and using their magic to actually make their illusions tangible. So that's where I've gone with mine. Uh, well, James, that's a concept wanna, I really enjoy. Yeah. You want to go ahead and talk a little bit about yours? Yeah. So the concept that the bard's always the quote, quote, the singer, the performer never really sat well with me. To me, the bards are also lore masters and things like that. And one of the types of people throughout history that's always fascinated me are the people that can gather a crowd. They have, you know, what, what we call now the cult of personality. And they're not really clerics. But they pass themselves off as clerics. So like your concepts of like Jim Jones or Rasputin or your old faith healers. And I've been working with Ian for this concept for a while. And it was really hard to get this one dialed in. It's the concept that you get a crowd so revved up and you read a crowd so well that they think you have powers. And so most of them just attribute it to the divine. But it's not. It's all you reading the crowd. It's all charisma. It is pure personality that sways an entire crowd and manipulates them and gets you to do what you want. So this is definitely going to be one of the more chaotic, neutral to your evil aligned bards. But I think the concept has a lot of potential if you work with it correctly. I mean, it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't I mean, have to be. No. I mean, this is the perfect thing if you wanted to play a televangelist. Oh, yeah. Granted, yeah. And I still think that would run along the lines of neutral to chaotic, personally. But Oh, I'm going to agree with you that I'm going to say that a vast, vast majority of televangelists are charlatans. 
I'm just going to go ahead and say it. (laughs) You can disagree with me if you want, but the fact of the matter is that most of them are in it for the money and not for the message. Yes. Every once in a while, you do get a real Billy Graham. Happens very rarely, and they tend to be, you know... Well noted because they're actually that. So yeah, I will grant you that. But exactly, even Billy Graham, though, had that cult of personality, that draw to him. It's one thing in life I know I will never have. The universe put that hard limit on me, so I would not become an evil supervillain because I probably would otherwise. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to go ahead and start off with our metal bards, our college of metal. We really wanted to bring that thunder and lightning feel to this and really draw from that whole power metal look and feel and aesthetic. Absolutely. To the point where we've actually pulled in names of metal songs for all of the subclass abilities. So when Ian presented this to me, like I said, we were in the middle of a WoW raid, which was fun. But he presented this to me, and the things I immediately thought of was, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Spinal Tap, Tenacious D, School of Rock, and like my mind just like, oh my god, we have to do this. And so yeah, definitely it's that very loud, very much over-the-top, big hair, kiss-save-Santa type type feel to everything. (laughs) Yeah, so going ahead and just diving into the abilities that you get. The standard layout for a bard subclass is you get two things at third level. One thing at 6th level, one thing at 14th level. And one of your 3rd level abilities tends to be a bonus proficiency type ability that gives you something exclusive to your subclass to really give your subclass that flavor. And this first ability that we get is Grind That Axe. So at 3rd level, you gain proficiency with Battle Axes, Great Axes, and Medium Armor. And you can use your axe as a bardic focus whenever you're casting your spells. I mean, to me, this is just every metal person has their axe, you know. And again, going with the 80s nomenclature for a person's guitar, if somehow you don't connect those. I think an axe is actually a good trade for this for the bar too, because an axe, I mean, generally rolls like a 1d12, a 1d10, depending on the axe. Yeah, but battle, axe battle axe is a versatile 1d8, 1d10, and the great axe is a 1d12. Right. And so with that versatile... It, does give you that punch so you can still use your dex modifier if you want to try to be a more nimble type bard. You don't solely rely on your strength. Oh, I think this would definitely be a strength build because whenever you start going into medium armor, you're only going to be able to get a max plus two to your AC for your dex. Possibly, but it, it does give you the option. But you're definitely going to come in with a whole lot more punch than, you know, with a rapier or a dagger or your short bow. So, But the thing about a rapier is a rapier is a finesse weapon and a battle axe is not. not. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. So you, so with these weapons... Oh, okay, so you said versatile, not finesse. Yes. Yes, I said versatile. That means that you can reel it two-handed. Or one-handed, perfect. Which, as a bard who is grinding their axe, this is going to oh, be absolutely. a two-handed sort of deal. So yeah, this lets you sort of pull in a little bit more of that martial feel to it. So you're going to become more of a martial character that casts spells, which feels really cool. It gives it a little bit more of a paladin or eldritch knight kind of feel out of a full caster. So how much... I know you watched your anime late night on Adult Swim and Cartoon Network. How much Metal Ocalypse did you watch? A little bit, not a huge amount. I'm trying to find out the lead singer's name. I, I'm blanking on it right now. But that's kind of what I picture when I see, you know, the lead singer for Deathlock. Nathan Explosion. Yeah, he's just that big, dark-haired European kind of muscly guy. Kind of looks like Travis Wilhelm from Critical Role. He's got that look to him, definitely, you know. Very growly. That's what I see when I see this type of bard. So in addition, they also get an expanded spell list. So we wanted to make sure to pull in all the spells that 
really grab that feel that we were going for. So on the cantrips, we added Booming Blade and Lightning Lure from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Toll the Dead from Xanathar's Guide, and Shocking Grasp and Thaumaturgy. I mean, yeah, these are all great. Again, going back to the feel of this, back in 2nd and 3rd edition, there used to be a type of damage called Sonic Damage. 5th edition is definitely, I don't know if they did it in 4th, but they switched that to Thunder. So definitely it's that Lightning and Thunder, because again, you're going to have, you know, the Electric Guitar, the big amp basses, so that sound that you're going to be putting out. All of that is just raw, you know. I mean, this is a one-man moving metal show almost. Absolutely, yeah. So for first level spells, we're adding Hellish Rebuke, Thunderous Smite from the Paladin list, and Witch Bolt. Witch Bolt's such a great spell. It, it, it has its uses. I'm a fan. I don't like that it takes an action to reapply the damage. Yeah. I don't like that it takes up your action once you've cast it. If Once you cast it, if you could use your bonus action to reapply that damage on subsequent turns, it would be a much better spell, in my opinion. I can see that. Uh, but we're we're not getting into theory crafting on spells today. <laughs> That's <laughs> another episode. That's another episode entirely. So I didn't find anything at second level that it really needed that it didn't already have. But at third level, adding Call Lightning, Elemental Weapon, so you can throw some lightning damage on your axe. Lightning Bolt, the Summon Lesser Demons and Thunderstep spells from Xanathar's Guide. Summon Shadow Spawn from Tasha's Cauldron. Absolutely, definitely metal abilities you gotta have, yeah. And especially once we get to the end of this whole archetype, you'll see why all of the Summon Lesser Demons, the Summon Fiends, and all of that stuff is in here. At third level, we're adding Banishment, Storm Sphere from Xanathar's Guide, Summon Greater Demon from Xanathar's Guide, and Wall of Fire. I just feel like Wall of Fire just fits. Oh yeah, especially like if you've ever been to a live show, you've got the pyrotechnics and everything. You've got, who was it? It was James Hetfield that like melted half his body because a pyrotechnic went off on stage level once. I think he was playing Fade to Black. And they mistimed one of the pyrotechnics and like he stepped over it and it literally like burnt half his body. And they talked about how they almost watched the flesh melt off of him and had to rush him to the hospital. So that wall of fire, definitely, again, going with that giant metal show feel with everything. So fifth level, we're adding Destructive Wave, which is, I think it's a paladin ability, but it deals a lot of thunder damage. Infernal Calling, which allows you to summon a demon, a specific demon. And Telekinesis, because Tenacious D. Because that is the only reason bullets. why. <laughs> that is the only reason why I put telekinesis on here. It's an homage to Tenacious D. It's telekinesis, Kyle. <laughs> that absolutely. absolutely needs to be in there. That's a that is a beautiful Easter egg. I love it. At sixth level, we're adding Chain Lightning, Circle of Death, because death metal, and Summon Fiend from Tasha's Cauldron. At seventh level, we're adding Finger of Death. At eighth level, we're adding Illusory Dragon from Xanthar's Guide. Another because great spell. Dragon Force. Which were terrible live. And I mean, we can cut this part out, but oh my God. How they sound on CD versus how they were live. I saw a show with them live and I was very underwhelmed. There are some bands like that. There are, unfortunately, yes. A few years ago in the town where I live, Kingsport, they have this big week-long event every summer called Fun Fest. And they always bring different acts in to perform concerts every night the whole week. And they get some pretty big names in here sometime. One year recently, they had Bare Naked Ladies opening for Huey Lewis and the News. That's awesome. And that was actually a pretty good concert. But that same year, they had, I can't remember who it was, someone in Whitesnake. Oh, wow. And Whitesnake was 
terrible live. A lot of it has to do with the size of the venue, too. I mean, particularly when you get these larger shows, uh, room acoustics is a huge, huge thing. Oh, and, and this is, and this was also outdoors. And I will admit that depending on where you sit, because it's a big amphitheater that they set up on the end of the football field at the high school. And so depending on where you sit, if you're sitting in the wrong spot, it'll reverb off of the back of the stands behind home plate because the baseball field is also the football field. And so if you're sitting in the wrong spot, you end up catching this one second delay echo coming off of that. Yeah, that's enough to throw things off. And that's, that is definitely a challenge. Like if you're looking to form yourself an arena rock band, dip in the coffers, pay the extra money, really pay for that good sound guy because they, your lights and your sound will make and break any show. So let's get back on topic. <laughs> There's one last spell. At ninth level, we're adding Storm of Vengeance because it sounds metal. It deals lightning damage and thunder damage too, I think. It is metal. It is just, it yeah. is just a big metal spell. I like it. It just fits thematically. Yeah, and again, this gives us, you know, that big, beefy. These are some fairly heavy spells that you're going to be throwing out as a bard. So you're not traipsing and dancing lightly on tables with this one. This one, you're kind of kicking indoors saying, I'm here. There is zero subtlety with this bard. You're we're going to huff and puff and blow the end down. Absolutely. And because you're College of Metal, you should have zero subtlety. Yes, absolutely. If you're going to play this bard, play it. Like I said, go watch Spinal Tap, watch Metal Metalocalypse. I mean, you are the 80s hair metal band. You're going to kick in, you know, with the giant curly hair like Dee Snider and just start screaming. Please, for the love of God, do this right. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go full on jackal and you're going to come in here playing the chainsaw. Absolutely. <laughs> Fun fact. I know the guy who actually he played bass for Jackal, I think, Tom Bettini, who now does, I think, massage therapy. Oh, wow. That's a that's a night and day shift. The story goes that they were on tour with Aerosmith. They were opening for Aerosmith and they invited them for over to their over to their <laughs> green room because they had a masseuse. They oh, okay. had their own masseuse that went on tour with them. Gotcha. And they, they invited them in to get massages from their masseuse. Well done. And so that's when he found out that this is actually a thing that I can do for a living. Yeah. And so he ended up, whenever the band broke up, going to school and becoming a massage therapist. Awesome for him. Well done. And his wife cuts my wife's hair. But anyway, nice. that aside done, that's all of the extra stuff that you get. And now the other third level ability that you get is called Thunderstruck. Starting at third level... When a bard from the College of Metal successfully attacks a creature with an axe, they may spend one bardic inspiration die to deal additional thunder damage equal to the die roll. And again, this just pushes that whole, it gives you a little extra oomph on your melee attacks because again, you are going to be more of a strength build than a dex build, so you definitely need some more push. Thunderstrucks are a great callback to ACDC. And this lets you use your bardic inspiration dice basically the same way that a paladin uses their spell slots for smites. Exactly, yeah. And it throws in, it gives you that feel of that big, bold, in-your-face, zero-subtlety bard. It is loud, it is present, it is visceral. Everything about this bard is absolutely over the top. Yes, this bard cranks it up to 11. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> so at 6th level, our ability is Ride the Lightning. Now, we came down with this one, and again, Ride the Lightning is a, a wonderful callback to Metallica. This one... We like this one. We like it as it is. We went back and forth. We kind of wanted a stage dive thing. We were looking for a holy diver type spell where like if you took fall damage, you could deal extra damage or do something. And we just couldn't 
quite get it to work where it would be useful. Yeah, it, it was something that we liked the concept of it. We liked the feel of it. It just lacked utility. It really did. And then Destroy the Lightning was something I had thrown out and we tinkered with and then Ian saw it and he, he just gave it a little extra twist where you actually get some move extra movement with this and it, it made it really rounded the spell out perfectly. So starting at 6th level, whenever you cast a spell that deals lightning or thunder damage, you get to add your charisma modifier to the damage roll. And additionally, whenever you cast a spell that deals lightning or thunder damage to one or more creatures, I think I'm going to put a caveat in here, a spell of first level or higher, so you can't be doing this on cantrips. Cantrips? (laughs) Yeah, probably not. You may spend a bardic inspiration die as a bonus action and teleport up to 60 feet to a space within 5 feet of a creature damaged by the spell and make a single melee attack against them. You can add the result of the inspiration die roll to the attack roll, and if it hits, it deals additional thunder damage. I like this. And so as we've talked about, you know, when we had Moth Prophet on, thunder damage is not one of those ones that gets resisted too terribly frequently. It's kind of underlooked as far as the damage, so that's one neat thing. My initial thought with Ride the Lightning was I was initially wanting something very similar to the uh, Tempest Priest's Divine Invocation. Because there is something to be said as a Tempest Cleric when you walk in and use your, you max damage a a Thunder Wave or something like that. It's like, wow. That said, it was sounding a little too much. So we had to dial it back some, dial it back some. And we were trying to figure out a way to get it to fit. And then when Ian added this, you know what, you can teleport up to 60 feet and then possibly make a melee attack. That just, one, that takes you back to your more of a melee character than necessarily a spell cast. You're in people's face. It fits thematically. It fits with the title theme perfectly. So yeah, I really, I really like how this one feels. And and then at 14th level, the capstone ability for this subclass is a tribute. Absolutely. So the whole this whole character is a tribute. <laughs> it really is. We're not the greatest bards in the world. This is just a tribute. Yeah. So starting at 14th level, you may use your action to summon a demon from the abyss. The demon is of a type you choose and must have a CR no greater than half your bard level. So starting at 14th level, you can summon a CR 7 demon or lower. It would cap out as a CR 10 demon at level 1920. The demon remains for one minute or until dismissed, or it's reduced to zero hit points. It shares your initiative, but takes its turn immediately after you. While the demon is under your control, you may use your bonus action to command it, to move up to its speed and use one of its actions on its turn. If you do not give it a command, it will attack the nearest creature, prioritizing hostile creatures over your allies and moving up to its speed to do so. At the end of each of your turns, you must maintain your control over your demon by making a charisma performance check, which the demon makes an opposed charisma saving throw against. If the demon succeeds, it is no longer under your control and will act of its own volition. You cannot dismiss the demon if it is not under your control, but you may spend an action on your turn to repeat the opposed check, regaining control on a success. Once you've used this ability, you can't use it again until you've finished a long rest. So yeah, this very obviously harkens back to the most metal, non-metal song ever. This goes back to, you know, Charlie's Daniel Band and the Devil Went Down to Georgia. And you got yourself a good old-fashioned fiddle contest. Also, very obviously, summoning Tenacious D's a tribute. So this felt perfect, you know, and an impromptu just, I'm going to pop out a demon 
But now I've got to do a performance check of, you know, play a song or a band. I almost wish it kind of came with a band of violin playing demons, like as in Charlie's Daniels uh, song. Oh, you can totally flavor text this. It shows up with a bunch of closet backup singers or what have you. I would almost, and this would border on clunkiness, but I recall back in third edition when you had the old-fashioned necromancers and their raised dead ability, you could raise, it wasn't a CR level, but you could raise a certain amount of hit die of monsters. So this, I would say you could raise the number of monsters equal to half your CR level or maybe half your number of hit die or something like that. And so if you wanted to raise just a small army of imps, Again, that becomes a little bit complex for the table, bookkeeping and DM and stuff like that. But it could be fun. But yeah, you can definitely flavor text it however you like. Well, you wouldn't be able to do imps if you're summoning demons. Yeah, they're devils. That's correct. That's why I was saying quasits. Yeah, the quasits. You have a choir of quasits. Absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, that's what we got. And it just felt really cool. It was a really interesting, neat, fun concept. And I think that it would be a lot of fun to play. We really need to specify placement of the demon when you summon it okay say an unoccupied space within 30 feet i think it should be five feet in front of you as close as it can be because you're summoning it right in front of you because you're challenging it to this duel you know or it's coming to you for the duel but i see it as like a challenge type well then let's split the difference and make 15 okay that works so an unoccupied space within 15 feet of you but yeah i kind of want to run a one-off like if you had one or two people just run your two metal bards and then send them through the nine hells or through the abyssal plane which I think we're going to get to in a few weeks. So. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a little bit because we're going to do the solo aligned planes first. And actually, we at the time of recording, we just finished up our poll on Twitter on which of the four primary aligned planes, plane of law, plane of good, plane of evil, plane of chaos, you guys wanted to see first. I haven't gotten a chance to go look at that yet, but (laughs) at the time of recording, the last time I saw Mechanus and Elysium, so Law and Good, are tied for first. Oh my. So I'm hoping that everybody voted. If not, because by the time you're hearing this, it's way (laughs) too late. (laughs) But we will we will be getting to that eventually. So I think that does it for the College of Metal Bard. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And like I said, this kind of came up as an impromptu. Again, if you haven't had a chance to check out World Build with us, great group of guys, really fun podcast. They've got some wonderful, amazing ideas. Definitely check out their stuff. Give them a listen. So let's go ahead and dive into our second Bard subclass. This one is James's, and we bandied the name back and forth for a little bit, and we settled on the College of Sophistry. Right. And again, if you don't understand sophistry, sophistry is that mental undercutting. It's kind of the... I'm trying to figure out a, a way to phrase it. Sophistry is the word you were looking for when you were talking about your fey truth. Uh, exactly. Yes, it is. It is being true to the letter while being false in the meaning or misleading in the meaning. There is a great quote that always stuck with me when I had to read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow when I was in middle school. And they talked about Brom Bones and they, you know, they said, you know, they talked about all these stuff he did and all the trouble he caused, but people in the town loved him because, quote, there was no malice in his mischief. This is kind of the opposite of that. There on the surface is no mischief, but there is all kinds of malice just running right underneath of everything. This is very much, as much as the metal bard was over the top, this is going to be your subtle underhanded bard. Yeah. So starting off at third level. The first ability that you get is called Faith Healer. Starting at third level, you gain the Spare the Dying cantrip, which does not count towards your total number of cantrips. At any level you gain a cantrip, you may choose from either the Bard or Cleric cantrip list. 
These cantrips all count as bard spells for you. Additionally, the following spells are added to your bard spell list. At first level, you get Bless and Command. At second level, you get Augury and Prayer of Healing. At third level, you get Aura of Vitality and Mass Healing Word. At fourth level, you get Aura of Life and Guardian of Faith. And at fifth level, you get Anti-Life Shell and Mass Cure Wounds. Like I said, this is something I've been working on with Ian for a long time, off and on. Just I can never quite get it fleshed out right. One, the fact that you get a bard and give them access to some of these beefier cleric spells really goes a long way. They add a ton of utility to your bard. And the exact opposite way that the metal bard, you know, the metal bard had the axe and the lightning storm, so it's going and kicking doors. This is definitely more of a support character. You're going to do a lot out of combat versus actually in combat. Yes, this is a very social heavy archetype very much so and again this is going to do a lot of support and going with that insidious you know malicious type character the quickest way to get someone's undying faith and love do something important from they can't do heal a family member get someone you know raised six from the dead cure a wound something like that and they think oh my god this is a wonderful person he's doing all these generous things for me he's so selfless and it's really just ways to sink more and more hooks in again this is going to be Generally, in the way I envision it, this is going to be a very subtle, very self-serving type character. Yeah, it really can be if you decide to play it that way. It could also be someone who is actually very altruistic. Very possible. You could totally go a chaotic good bard out of this and they just go around helping people. You know what, a chaotic, that would be amazing to see someone play this as a chaotic good bard. And this would be, again, like we referenced, this would be like a... uh, a Billy Graham who's, you know, screw your rules, I'm going to help people no matter what. And that would be a really fun way to play this too. This would almost be if you wanted to go really on the altruistic end with your chaotic good, this would be like a Mother Teresa type character. Yeah, that's kind of where I was leaning towards. You could decide that they were, you know, a complete pacifist, not take any damaging spells at all, not really carry a weapon, and they just go around and help people. Yeah, I could see that too, yeah. And then the second thing that you get at third level... Tricks of the trade. A con artist can always smell another con. So starting at third level, you gain proficiency with deception and insight. And when you make a charisma deception or wisdom insight check, or if you're making an intelligence investigation check to discern an illusion, you may choose to spend one bardic inspiration die and add it to your roll. You can do this after you roll the die, but before the outcome is determined. This reminded me a bit of Neil Gaiman's American Gods. You have Wednesday walking around and he's that grifter, but he could also point out the other grifters just because he was so used to it. It's like if you see the guy that does like the card tricks or the street magicians and you have another magician's pen and tellers, is it fool us? But they, have, yeah, they, I think so. they have the thing where they see if they can find other magicians that can trick them, uh, you know, with sleight of hand or anything like that. And they've done so much and they've seen so much that they know how all of these little tricks work. And that was kind of the kind of feel as you are so well versed in running these little games and gambits and whatnot that you know how all these all work. Yeah, that's really what we were going for with this particular ability. So moving on to six level, read the crowd. So starting at six level, you become more adept at influencing a crowd through oration rather than magic. If you spend at least one minute talking to the members of a crowd before addressing them, you may make a DC 15 wisdom insight check. On a success, you gain advantage on any charisma ability checks you make for the next 10 minutes. Once you use this ability, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So this kind of goes back to that faith healer or, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna show my age a bit, but back in the early 2000s, there was that guy that, I forget his name, but he went on TV and he said he could talk to the dead and he was, basically he was just cold reading the crowd, you know, oh, I'm getting, uh, 
I have a sense of a spirit with a J. And someone would be like, oh, yeah, I have a J. Oh, James, because everyone's named James, right? Or John or Jacob. So it, it had to be one of those. And you'd kind of do these cold read things and kind of get everybody to roll in and kind of pull them in. That was my thought with this, is that that ability to cold read a crowd. And then once you start getting those hooks in, they start thinking you've got this thing. And so now everything you do is more and more and more believable. And you just kind of start pulling them in a little easier, a little easier, a little further, a little further. And it's almost got that sort of, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of that one medium that would come on to, was it like Oprah it or Brown? one, one of those? It was Cynthia Brown. Yeah, yes. her. Exactly. That, that's a, another great example of this. That's the kind of person I had in my mind when I was, when I was trying to build this character. And now for the capstone, Spin Doctor. Starting at 14th level, you're able to sway the direction of a crowd to do your bidding. When addressing a crowd that you have used your read the crowd ability on, you may spend a bardic inspiration die to force the crowd to make a wisdom saving throw against your charisma performance or charisma persuasion check. All creatures who can hear you and fail their save are charmed by you as per the charm person spell. Creatures who fail their saving throw by five or more are instead affected by the suggestion spell. And creatures who fail their saving throw by ten or more are instead affected by the dominate person spell. The total number of creatures who can be under the effects of either dominate person or suggestion is equal to your charisma modifier plus your inspiration die roll. If there are more valid targets than you can control, you choose which creatures to charm and the others are only affected by charm person. When the effect of the spell ends, all affected creatures must make an intelligent saving throw. If they fail the save, they are unaware that they were charmed by you. Once you use this ability, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So this for me was that orator for a big crowd, you know, whatever it may be. And they kind of get the crowd so riled up, fired up, they're going to do something. So they go and they give, you know, that great Independence Day speech or whatever it is, you know. So it could be, hey, we've got everybody together and now we're going to rebuild the church or now we're going to go out and we're going to save the town by attacking the kobold camp or we're going to go pull that dragon's tail, that kind of thing. So it's that you get the crowd so fired up, that mob mentality, if you've ever been to like a sports game or something like that in person, again, talking back old concerts, there's definitely a feel. If you can find the person that can do that kind of thing and get them both on the same page and fired up at the same time, those people throughout history have been so incredibly powerful and they can do so many things and they've gotten crowds to do amazing things. So, I mean, it's one of those... When one for the Gipper or the big political speeches or things like that, those big rallies where people just, you know, they look back and like, wow, I didn't realize I was doing that or what did I get myself into? It's not necessarily a bad thing, but they just got so caught up in the moment. Yeah, this is definitely the incite the mob ability. Absolutely. Which to, is to kind use, of lacking in this edition. Yeah. To use a kind of controversial example, the events of January 6th. Very much. Were people getting up on stage and using this to stir up the mob. And then they went and stormed the Capitol building. Right. Jim Jones and his whole thing, kind of like that. More, oh, absolutely. More on a one-on-one -on -one level, but Charles Manson, you know, he had that ability just to kind of talk to people and kind of, and again, that would tie a little bit more into Read the Crowd too, where it's more of a one-on-one -on -one type thing. And like I said, had I this ability, I would almost definitely be an evil supervillain. So this was a hard limit that the universe put on me. But those people have always throughout history fascinated me and how they can find a person and then just, 
like I said, they just weave a spell around them, and it's it's amazing to me. It's absolutely fascinating. All right, I think that pretty well wraps up what we had for your bard. Yes. So moving into my bard, the third one on our list, uh, the College of Truth Weaving. I'm not in love with the name, but it's the placeholder right now, mainly because College of Creation was already taken, and I'm still bitter about Wizards of the Coast taking that because that would totally be what this is for. It's the College of Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. All right, so as a starting thing at third level, quick draw artist. Starting at third level, you can ignore the verbal components, if any, of any spells you cast. Any spell you cast instead gains a somatic component if it does not already have one. To cast a spell, you must have a drawing implement, which you use as your bardic spellcasting focus. You can use a paintbrush, a pen, or a piece of charcoal as examples. Additionally, you gain access to all of the illusion spells on the wizard spell list. These count as bard spells for you. So that's what I'm trying to get at for... These are for the people, like, you see the videos on YouTube and TikTok of the people that are set up on the pier who have the great big easel and they spend 60 seconds just putting all of these seemingly random marks on the paper and then they flip the pad over and it's this immaculate portrait. I see that. The other thing I see too that I'm seeing more and more over the past couple of years are the street artists that can draw things in 3D. And so like when mm-hmm. you're right on top of it, it looks wonky, but you take like two or three steps back and it looks like it's actually there. Absolutely. That's exactly yeah. what I'm seeing with this. Yeah, that's the sort of feel that I'm going for with this particular college. Their whole thing is visual illusion, manipulating the visual aspect of everything. First perspective and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And then the second thing you get at third level is called Art Imitates Life. So starting at third level, when you cast an illusion spell of first level or higher that has a visual component, you may spend a bardic inspiration die to turn that illusion into a living spell. The living spell functions as the spiritual weapon spell, save that it has an AC equal to your spell save DC. It uses your saving throw values. And it has five times the spell's level plus the inspiration die hit points. The spell persists until it is reduced to zero hit points. You create another living spell or you become incapacitated or unconscious. This is basically a spell that requires concentration. It does not require concentration because spiritual weapon does not require concentration. Okay. But because it acts as spiritual weapon on your turn, you can move it using your bonus action and attack with it. So that's going to tie up your bonus action once it's there. But it gives you something a little bit extra to throw around. Yeah, this gives this particular type of bard a good bit of combat utility. Again, this bard and then my previous bard, a lot of it's more of the social out of combat. But this definitely gives this bard some extra weight in this animated life or the animated magic or a spiritual weapon as a precept. They are great to throw in choke points on the map to kind of hold an area off, either to let people escape or to give some breathing room or to maneuver around as you have need. So this is a really good spell, very useful. You can be able to do a lot with the spell. And because it's tied to you're casting a specific school of magic and it's tied to a spell of first level or higher, so you can't do this with a cantrip. And because it requires you to spend a bardic inspiration die to make it work... All of that together is what we're using as the limiters on this so that you can't just constantly have this spiritual weapon up every single time you go into combat. You can't just pop up a minor illusion 
on your turn <laughs> and get this thing that can run around and bop people on the head for force damage. That'd be ever so slightly broken. Just a little bit. And then as a caveat, the living spell appears in a space within five feet of where you planted your illusion spell. So if it's something like you're casting invisibility on yourself, it appears within five feet of you after you turn invisible. And if your illusion creates the image of a medium or smaller creature, you can have your living spell occupy the same space as that illusion and the living spell and the illusion move in concert whenever you command them. So you can use like a major image to create the appearance of a soldier and then you drop your living spell on top of it so that your illusion of a soldier runs around and smacks people for force damage. Right. And this was something Ian and I had discussed a bit was the exact shape, because he hadn't nailed it down initially, what exact shape this would take. And so talking about the world build aspect of things and how to kind of flesh this out a little bit better, we talked about it kind of like taking the outline, the shape of what I recast it on, or actually just being a floating moat. But I like how Ian went back and polished this out. So now it's got a shape, it's got a presence. And depending on the bard, how tricky the bard is, or how loud my birds are going to be, how tricky the bard is at any point. Again, you could almost use this where like you could create that image, cast your art, imitates life, your living spell over that, and then like disappearance or invisibility over yourself. And that almost gives you a multi-form type spell where you can kind of go and get away or use it as a distraction. I could see this being used in a lot of really different clever ways. And so this spell actually kind of makes me really excited. Yeah, you can use this a little bit like how the Trickery Domain Cleric uses their Invoke Duplicity. So yeah, if you hit yourself with Invisibility, you can sort of morph the Living Spell to kind of look like a ghostly version of yourself. Because I do see this as being a very monochromatic, that nebulous, pale blue energy look that you get that wispy look and have that be like your distraction so cast that on a will-o'-wisp just for <laughs> just have an extra will-o'-wisp floating around just for smgs next up at sixth level concept to reality so when you cast an illusion spell of first level or higher to create an inanimate object the object you create is actually a physical item the item cannot be more than five feet in any one dimension and nothing created with this ability can have a value greater than 25 gold. If you create an object of greater value, such as a diamond or a pile of gold, the object looks authentic, but an intelligence investigation check against your spell save DC will reveal that it is a fabrication made from cheap materials. You may use this ability a number of times equal to half your proficiency bonus rounded down. You regain all expended uses of this ability after finishing a long rest. So the bulk of this ability is using the effects of Nolzer's Marvelous Pigments. It's a very rare magic item in the DMG where you basically you're painting an illusion and whenever you finish painting it, it becomes real. So with the pigments, if you're going down a hallway and you want to get into a room, you can paint a door on the wall and the door will open into the room. Or if you wanted to have a pit trap in the middle of the room. You could use your paints to paint a pit trap in the middle of the room. And as soon as you're finished, there's a pit in the middle of the room. So those are aspects of it that I didn't want to do because it is a very rare magic item. I wanted to have it be less substantial than that because it has repeatability. We were dialing this back up. I think the pigments, I believe, if I recall correctly, I have this on one of my like magical item cards. I think it has a set number of uses. It does. Yeah. You have 1d4 pots, 
and each pot covers 1,000 square feet of surface. So there is a certain amount of surface that you can get per pot. So there is a finite amount that you can get. It's still an awful lot. I've put a limiter on the size of the object. It can't be more than five feet in any one dimension. So you can't just paint up a whole big statue. You can do it, you know, one day at a time, making a five foot section of a statue and just build it up that way if you really, really wanted to. But that's not really what this is for. This is for things like, say, making a duplicate of a key, perhaps. So if you took the keen mind feat, where you basically get a photographic memory, you can look at a key that somebody has and go and use your illusion magic to make a duplicate of that key. Something like that. Or say your fighter drops their sword and it goes down into the ravine. You will be able to create a non-magical but still functional sword, I think. I've not gone and looked at the price lists for all of this stuff, but I think... A magical sword would definitely be way over 25 gold pieces. No, no, no. This is a non-magical. All of these items are non-magical. Yeah, I was going to say, well, is that listed in the spell? I missed that if you had listed that, because I was going to ask you about that, is could you make like a plus one shield or something if you... No. Okay. No, this is... I do need to add that. It is specifically a non-magical item because the items that you make with the paints are non-magical okay. as well. But then, yeah, like you were saying, if you got disarmed in a pinch, then here, let me draw you a giant sword of stabbing, you know? And that's a great way to do it. The way I immediately envision this would be like if I was running for, if I was being chased or something, I could run down in an alley and then quickly paint like a, a five by five box or a door and kind of hide behind it. It'd be a great way to break line of sight if you need that kind of thing for your spells or to escape or get away. That kind of thing. Something you can duck behind real quick. So you're going full Metal Gear here, huh? Yeah, kind of. Another thing that would be really fun to do is make a bag of marbles and throw them behind you so you have caltrops or something like that. And now the train's difficult train for the people following you so it slows them down and lets you kind of get away. Yeah, at a value of 25 gold, you can get just about everything on the weapon list from the melee weapon standpoint you can't make a great axe you can't make a great sword those are both too expensive but everything else you can make a functional melee weapon as an illusion it's non-magical but it's functional another way to do this in the pinch is you know if you as a bard or your rogue or whoever forgets to purchase some arrows you pretty much have an infinite supply of Oh, here's a quiver of arrows. Done. <laughs> Not an infinite supply. At the time you get it at sixth level, you can only do it once a day. Right, but, oh, well, I mean, depending on how fast you're going through your arrows, I suppose. Yeah, if you don't need a lot of arrows, yeah, you could probably get away with that. Fire arrows, those are right out. But regular everyday arrows, those are good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So, yeah, this definitely kind of gives you a bit of utility. If you've played darkest dungeon did i ever get you to play darkest dungeon i have not yet played darkest dungeon they have a character in there called the artificer and they've got another one which is the grave robber and both of those have an ability that when you're on your rest time they can each produce a trinket or an item that can be useful for the party and this has that feel for it so if you're on downtime and you realize you absolutely need something you're in an absolute pinch then let me sketch something up real fast and that's a great way to fill in any kind of gaps that your party may have left behind it inadvertently. And then the capstone for this subclass, Weaver of Truths. Starting at 14th level, your illusions become uncannily real. Creatures have disadvantage on intelligence investigation checks to see through your illusions, and creatures that would normally see through illusions automatically, such as with the true seeing spell, must now make an intelligence investigation check with advantage to discern them. Additionally, 
you may now have two living spells at a time, and they deal additional damage equal to your proficiency bonus. You may command both spells with the same bonus action, and they must remain within 30 feet of each other. I love this spell. I really, really do. I want to take this spell and then turn it upside down and let it loose in the Feywild. <laughs> Be like, oh, you can see through illusions. Huh? Well, how about this now? Meh. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to get to. It's not just creating an illusion. Their whole thing is infusing their illusions with that little bit of magical something to give them tangibility. And so all of their illusions are just that little bit real. And so there's that little bit of a chance that even if you could normally just see through an illusion, you might still be tricked by this because it is just that little bit real. And I love that. I mean, that has such a good feel thematically for me. I really do enjoy that a lot. And I think that's just about it. That's the end of that one. Yeah, it kind of rolls up our bards. I like this. This is, it's really funny. Ian and I so often will tackle the same topic and we come from almost polar opposites and we still wind up somewhere in the middle with things, which is great. But again, this is a very subtle, this bard has a different form of utility. We're still coming less combat, more support like I did my bard, but this has a very different feel than my bard did but still an amazing bard and would fill out any gaps in a party so easily. This is actually really well done. I enjoy this one a lot. Yeah, I had a whole lot of fun creating this. This was something that I just sort of sketched up one day. Uh, I was sitting at the farmer's market board and just sketched it out. So if any of you saw my Twitter post a couple weeks ago where I said, have you ever written down something in a notepad? And then when you go back to find it, you find six identical notepads and it's not in any of them. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. Yeah, this was what I was working on that I was looking for was this particular bard. And the funny thing was that I had done a rogue archetype the same day and I had taken a picture of it and sent it to James. And so the first thing I did when I couldn't find it was I went back through my messenger pictures looking for it and I found the rogue, but I didn't send him a copy of the bard. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, so it helped me none at all. But yeah, so James and I really both came at this and we both created very social aspect bards, very social heavy combat light bards, but we went at it from two very different perspectives and we came out with two bards that do largely the same thing from very different angles. I think what would be really funny is that we've ever had like a psychologist or psychiatrist listen to our thing or look at our bards or what we create. Ian generally makes his social contact characters or classes or whatever a beneficial thing. For me, social contact is almost in lieu of combat or use social contact instead of combat, but it is still oppositional where a lot of Ian's social interactions or things like that are supportive. And like, I don't know what that says about me particularly, or Ian and I, particularly from a psychological standpoint, but it is a funny thing to notice and see. So one thing that I did want to bring up now that we're done with our bards is that we've recently hit a thousand followers on Twitter. Woohoo! And James and I are still, at the time of recording this, figuring out exactly what we want to do as a giveaway, but we are doing a giveaway. We definitely wanted to come around to give a thank you to our followers, to those people that help interact with us. The more that you guys can bring definitely brings a lot to the show, definitely gives Ian and I, you know, those moments of encouragement. So absolutely. Thank you all. So as a tricksy way to get people to actually listen to the episode, if you're listening to the episode, go over to Twitter to our posts that will be up by now and tell us 
which of these three colleges you like the best and which one you would want to run with. And for the people who are on Twitter, the post is going to say, listen to the end of the episode and follow the instructions. So those are the instructions. Go back to the post and tell us which one of these three bards is your favorite. That is the special instruction for the giveaway. Do the whole like and retweet and follow. And then you have to, in the comments, tell us which of these three bard colleges you think is the best. Which one is your favorite? And also, tell us how you want to use these bards. Don't just like, oh, I like bard B. No, let us know how you want to use these bards. And and maybe if something sparks an idea with you, let us know. Because we love to hear how you guys think you could use what we come up with and how we world build. We definitely want that interaction. And I would love to see some of the ideas you guys come up with. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great idea. So yeah, so slight modification. Like, retweet, make sure you're following us and comment which college you think is your favorite and how you would play a bard of that college. Awesome. That sounds great. I can't wait to see the responses. Yeah, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. And there will be a pinned post with the details of what we're giving away. So thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Undercommon Taste. If you have any ideas for future episodes or if you have any comments or suggestions on what we've done, send us an email, undercommontaste at gmail.com, or send us a direct message through our Twitter account, at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing my Shakespeare and Insult page-a-day calendar-inspired RP prompts six days a week. They're going up on the Twitter account and then getting cross-posted to the Instagram and Facebook accounts at Undercommon Taste. We are now on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. I'm trying to get new patron content up every two to three weeks. The most recent one at the time of recording has been the extra she courts. Which are absolutely awesome. I love them. By the time this has come out, I should have my write-up on the Ether Gaunts up. The Ether Gaunts are a really cool third edition monster that hasn't transferred across. It is a sentient race that lives in the ethereal plane. It's a really cool thing, and it's got a whole lot of really interesting lore going on behind it. Uh, I had a whole lot of fun with it. And all of our write-ups that we post to our Twitter account are available for free through our Patreon account. And the additional content is available to all of our patrons, regardless of your patron level. Our podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, all of the major podcast providers. Please give us a rating, give us a review, leave comments if you can, follow us, subscribe to us on whatever platform you're on. Any of those things really help our visibility and help us get out to more listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you as, as always. So happy gaming and to quote some of the original metal bards, be excellent to each other. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. 
You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.